Hello and welcome to another presidential episode of Saved by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a guy who consistently reaches across the aisle to find bipartisan support, Mr. Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. That's a lie. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this month, we're going to be talking about presidential films. We got four presidential-themed films lined up for you. And it's a good mix, I think. Yeah. It mostly leans towards the comedy, but we got some we got some other stuff in there. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we can just go straight in. We'll go in chronological order like we typically do. And we're going to start off with a comedy. This is 1993's Dave. This summer, think funny, Whoa. think hit, think Dave. It's Kevin Klein's funniest role since A Fish Called Wanda. Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Dave, and Ivan Reichen film, ready PG-13. Starts Friday, May 7th, at a theater near you. This is directed by Ivan Reitman. I have a synopsis here. An uncanny presidential lookalike named Dave is recruited by the Secret Service to become a momentary stand-in for the President of the United States. Now, uh, I think I did I did see Dave when I was very young. Very, very young. I don't remember anything about it, honestly. So it was pretty much like this. I was going into this fresh. And the interesting thing about this lineup is that I, I cranked all of these out in... I guess it was two days. I guess I watched two, and then the next day I watched another two. And I don't know what it was, but I was just in the right headspace for these movies mm-hmm. because I had a I had a really good time with Dave. I I enjoyed it very much. And I didn't really think I would. But uh yeah, I was just really into Kevin Klein's portrayal of this uh this this lookalike guy and I was just really into it in general. Yeah, it's 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 a nice movie. It, it's it's just it's it's kind of hard to come up with too many things to say about it that aren't just variations on that uh, general sentiment. I saw this movie for the first time last year, actually, uh, and that's just kind of what I came away uh, thinking. It's it's a movie that can make you feel good, but doesn't have kind of a vaguely unsavory aftertaste because it doesn't really get in too much to its any particular like ideological uh 90s triangulation isms towards politics like we might see at some point later this Mm. month Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah big time yeah (laughs) yeah it's just a very inoffensive just nice feel-good movie that you just kind of you let it wash over you you have a couple chuckles here and there I mean, if I were to have, like, I guess a criticism, it's not funny. Like, it's a comedy, but I didn't think it was funny at all. I found it to be extremely entertaining, but there weren't really any kind of, like, laugh-out-loud moments or anything. But I liked the central cast here. I mentioned Kevin Klein, and I thought Sigourney Weaver was fantastic in it. She plays the the first lady. And then uh, Frank Langella is sort of the he's sort of the bad guy in a, in a lot of ways. I I would say I would say yeah. I I think I don't think you need to qualify. He he's the he's the villain of this. Yeah. Kevin Dunn who I feel like this is a this is like 
maybe the start of that this like role for him because I feel like because th- this is kind of the role that he played in Veep too, and uh, he he's you know great in this and Charles Grodin too, uh, who plays uh, Kevin Kevin Klein's uh, Dave's friend who's an accountant in one of the most ridiculous scenes in the movie where the two of them sit down and look at the entire budget of the United States over one (laughs) evening and figure out how to save $650 million. Uh, It's it's a great, it's a great scene. (laughs) Uh, Over, over bratwurst and hot mustard, I believe. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's the dinner. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a very light kind of just fun movie. I, think that it's probably not Reitman's best film, but it's certainly not, you know, not his worst either. It's it, it, I mean, it's the kind of movie where you look at the 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 direct uh crew, the look at the credits on it and you're kind of surprised that it's sort of a big name director. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, yeah. I, I I don't know I don't know exactly uh, how how else to phrase that, but it's like it, this doesn't feel like a movie where you look at it and it's like this. It feels like it fits into someone's big career narrative. It feels like just kind of a movie that is and could kind of be. It, it, like I said, yeah, it just doesn't really. You don't think of this and and really think this is this fits somewhere in like a well defined narrative of someone's career as a filmmaker but it doesn't have when to you, it's yeah. a nice movie yeah and when you look at when you look at this compared to to reitman's filmography especially you know around this time he he did junior right after this right before this he did kindergarten cop so it it kind of fits i think within there and of course he did twins before before that even so yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I guess it kind of fits within Reitman's film, but but I think that Ivan Reitman was always kind of a hard director to to sort of pin down. I think that he's mm-hmm. you can definitely see like the similarities between his movies when you look at it on a list. But if you're just like watching one of his movies and you don't already know that it's one of his, that it, I think it'd be hard to be like, oh, this is definitely a Reitman film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that that that's maybe what I was uh, trying to get at is that I, uh, is that it's a movie that doesn't really have a signature to it. Correct. Yeah. Like as far as like the style, cinematography, camera work, production design, it's all it's all like just fairly standard '90s stuff across the board. Like nothing, nothing about this like sticks out visually or stylistically. It's just. Uh, you know, I, I think in this case, the lens is just a, a vehicle for the for the story and not much more. And that's fine. You know, it's a it's it's an OK story. I had fun with it. Uh, I was definitely in, like I said, in the in the right headspace for this movie. Yeah. And and the other ones that we're going to talk about. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed Dave quite a bit. I'd give it like a, a light recommend. Yeah. Uh Another thing that I want to uh, bring up is that the uh, Oval Office set that they built uh, for this movie was uh, there was actually a New York Times article about depicting the Oval Office in movies. And it was written in it's an article from, I think, 1997. 
Uh, and uh, this one was used a bunch through uh, the following few years because there was just this, as the article posits, this sudden glut of movies that wanted to be uh, about the presidency and be set in the White House. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there were more than there were in the 80s, but... Uh, I think there the had set- to be, man. There yeah, were you would have to lot. think so. I mean, that, and the, these are only four that we're talking about. There were there were many more, and definitely, and, and even ones that like, even ones that aren't specifically like presidential, like political movies. There's still a lot of movies that take place, you know, in the Oval Office, have scenes in there like Mars Attacks or something. Yeah, uh, and what's the interesting the thing is that. When they used the, uh, when they, excuse me, the, the interesting thing about it is that when they shot the American president, which we'll talk about in a bit, uh, they, there was actually a second uh, Oval Office set built for it. So by 97, when they wrote this article, they could basically have two Oval Office sets that two productions could use at the same time, which was apparently necessary since there were so many. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I mean, they both looked good. Uh Let's yeah. talk, let's let's use that to transition it into the American president. This one came out in 1995. Listen, um, are you hungry? I skipped breakfast. You wanna have a donut? Andrew Shepard is about to go where no American president has gone before. The president can't just go out on a date. I'm having dinner at the White House. I'm having lunch at the Kremlin. Dig it, Miss Wade. You're the president's girlfriend. Michael Douglas and Annette Bening in a Rob Reiner film, The American President, rated PG-13. Special sneak preview Saturday, November 11th. Uh, And it's directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin, which uh, is very clear. Now, like... It is so clear. (laughs) Like, when you you talk about, like, a director's style, uh, you know, sometimes that's not immediately uh, obvious, but... A lot of times when you're watching something that's written by Aaron Sorkin, it is. And, and this is the case here. I mean, this, you know, fans of the West Wing, I think, like, this ha- this has that DNA in it. I mean, not only are, like, the same, a lot of the same actors used, but the, 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 the kind of walk and talks and, like, just, it, it's, all, it's all here, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm. This is, I think, in every sense, you have to assume this is just a practice run for the West Wing, basically. <laughs> and you know what? It's we can get to the finer points of what this movie is trying to do when it actually depicts the the the, the business of politicking as president. But that's really not the point here. This is again. I, I think we. I I can repeat the general sentiment about Dave. This is just a nice movie that you can just have on. Yeah. Now the the thing about this one is I just rewatched this like a year ago uh, because my wife wanted to rewatch it and so I was like in the room I was like half paying attention to it so when you suggested this I was just like oh god because I knew that I was going to have to watch it again because I didn't pick up enough on that initial rewatch to like really retain all of the details. So I was kind of not looking forward to this one, but I got to say again, I had a, I had a really good time with this. I, 
it like like you said with Dave in a similar manner I just found it to be very enjoyable it's a nice little uh you know romance movie about this uh this widowed president did I read the synopsis uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Let me let me read the synopsis. Maybe that can do it better than me. A widowed U.S. president running for re-election and an environmental lobbyist fall in love. It's all above board, but politics is perception and sparks fly anyway. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so this stars Michael Douglas and Annette Bening. ton of other people in here as well, including Martin Sheen, Michael J. Fox, uh, David Paymer, Richard Dreyfuss, a bunch of people, great cast. Anna, De- Anna Devere Smith, who is also in Dave. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, it's, again, pretty light. There's a little bit more kind of scandalous type stuff that happens in this one as far as the the politics angle mm-hmm. where like the synopsis says it's, it's an election year this is uh this is a president who is single and he starts dating this woman and of course the opposition is like trying to dig up dirt on her and turn it into a scandalous thing and and the president this this very altruistic president is just trying to keep the focus on the important issues at hand. And, you know, of course that this, this whole situation causes a bit of a rift between them and their budding relationship. But at the same time, it, it, it really, the, the conflict here, it's not super, it's not big. It's not like it's not like there's something. No, it's not like their their uh, their relationship gets put into jeopardy and they like they they sort of break up. It's like they have a little bit of an issue, but it's like they're adults. They they work it out, and I, I found that to yeah. be pretty nice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, as far as these things can go. As far as movies about. Be about where one of the characters is the president of the United States can go. This is a relatively conflict-free movie, mm-hmm. and I think one of the reasons is why is because this gets this is just this has like a super Aaron Sorkin ending, which is that the president gives one speech and it fixes every single problem at once. <laughs> yep, <laughs> which I think is a fine thing to think about, but as I might have alluded to earlier, and as I really alluded to. Uh, at the very start of this podcast. Uh, I think it's the kind of thing that also got into the West Wing and also a lot of otherwise well-intentioned people took completely the wrong takeaway on how to compartmentalize that and Mm. uh, real-world politics to an extent paid a very dear price for it. (laughs) I I never got into the West Wing. I I don't know. I just, I start, I remember like when it first came out, I I watched, I think, a few episodes, but I never never got into it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's a perfectly good enough show to watch. And I, I like Aaron Sorkin's stuff for the most part. I feel like when he's, like, kind of reining it in, I think, is that's that's when... And, and he needs to stay away from courts. Like, court scenes is... 
Yeah. Because that, that's yeah. when it gets... Uh, yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> if we're concerned about someone reining Aaron Sorkin in, the fact that he now appears to uh, direct all of his scripts from now, and I guess for the indefinite future, means that he is not going to rein it in ever again. <laughs> no, it's going to be a million times worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the case study there is um, the trial of the Chicago 7. <laughs> yeah. Which is... Aaron Sorkin directing, Aaron Sorkin uh, writing courtroom scenes. Oh, it's rough. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad, again, it's not a bad movie. It's no, just I, that, I, like, I didn't mind that movie, but the, I, the courtroom scenes were pretty ridiculous, especially towards the end. It, I mean, it literally ends, I, I don't know, do, are we, I, I, do, should I spoil the end of the trial of Chicago 7? <laughs> it's Also, if you know Aaron Sorkin, then you know this is not a spoiler, that the last scene of the trial of Chicago 7 is someone giving a really big speech, and then everyone in this courtroom spontaneously applauding. Yeah. It's like, I, I, like it's nice to think that like the speech is going to fix things, but also, even for the American president, like this was... Uh, can consider that the era of politics. This was like post, you know, the '94 midterms and the contract with America and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, like, the, and like the era of like right wing talk radio. It's like nice to think that you could give a speech and bring everybody back together, but things were really going way off the rails by this point. And <laughs> you yeah. could not bring, you know, uh, you could not bring a speech to the what was going on by that point and yeah too many people thought so for too long and that's all i'll say about that i think that there there was opportunity for an interesting dynamic here because you have the whole like like annette benning's character is she's sort of an she's a regular person for the most part i mean she still has a pretty a pretty high power job i would say but um you know she comes into this whole white house thing dating the president and just like seeing how crazy it is to be the president and all the craziness and you know we're we're witnessing that with her and learning about all this these crazy like just the amount of power he has and like all the the things that act that he has at his fingertips um but then there's also this aspect where he's a he's a single dad so he has mm-hmm. a he has a young a teenage daughter and I feel like there could have been an opportunity there to have Annette Benning's character, you know, bond with I think her name was Lucy, bond with her a little bit more. But in this movie, almost every scene, it's just her playing the trombone. Like every scene, she's just playing the trombone. Like, what is she like perpetually practicing the trombone? And and at one point, she seems to get worse at it. So it's like, what is what is going on here? Like, it felt it felt like Sorkin had no idea how to write a teenage girl character. So he's just like, "Ah, just have her practice the trombone all the time. Uh, Yeah, it's like I don't know, you know, what they what the curriculum is like in these, you know, upper end uh, DC private schools where the children of presidents go. But apparently it's just only band concerts all the time. (laughs) Yeah. But overall, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I would say that if you don't like Aaron Sorkin style scripts, then you're definitely not going to like this one because this is like, 
you know, high octane Sorkin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, like but, yeah. I, I feel like some of his other like earlier things were a little bit crazier. Like Sports Night, I remember that one. Like that show being absolutely wild at how fast it was. And of course, um, the social network is famously like moves very quickly. The the one bit of Sorkin ephemera I do think about sometimes is uh, I have not seen very much of uh, Studio 60, (laughs) his uh, short-lived network drama in like the mid-2000s. That was basically about a show that is just, you know, SNL. Yep, I remember. Except it. I've seen the teaser for the pilot, which is like ten minutes long. The thing, the funny thing about Studio sixty was that it came out the same year. If I remember correctly, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it came out the same year as Thirty Rock. And yes, it, and it was like so confusing because you had two shows that were about making shows, and and, and it felt so. Like it was, it, and it was on the same network too. So it was like, it was so weird. But Studio Sixty obviously just didn't. That one didn't work. Yeah, I, I was I was trying to remember the the pilot for Studio Sixty. The teaser ends with Judd Hirsch playing the executive producer of like an SNL style sketch show, and he goes on this extended rant like on air, completely unscripted, and they have to pull him off the air and fire him. <laughs> And it's just, so yeah, it basically has the network moment, like, you know, in the movie network. And I think it's referenced a bunch in the script too, in the show. Uh, So yeah, I think in a strange way that I haven't seen too much of that show because it's not really available outside of that, um, or at least I didn't think it was, outside of that uh, teaser. And it's like, for some reason, I kept thinking about that as like, this is just like, this is peak Sorkin somehow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's just probably. a bunch of people moving back and forth. This big space, and then it ends with someone making an again enormous speech. I think the newsroom is also like that one is very, very, very Sorkin. Almost every episode was like a big speech. I believe the newsroom also. I believe that the newsroom also begins with someone making a huge speech uh-huh. in the teaser yep. first in the pilot. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Daniels. He has. Yeah. He has this like moment on air and it, and it like kicks off everything mm-hmm. on the show and uh i mean it's a good show i liked the newsroom quite a bit actually i liked that um one of the interesting things about that show was that it was it used uh like current events like actual topics so it was it was sort of like fresh um and real world events that were happening were reflected on on the show and i thought that that was kind of cool i guess by comparison the west wing seems really low-key because i think the first episode of the west wing is that they have to deal with the minor embarrassment that the president fell off his bicycle (laughs) i think that's the first episode (laughs) like that's the main thing in the first episode that brings the characters together is that he's not hurt in any you know he's not hurt or anything it's it's just that the president fell off a bike. No, no, wait, there is a big speech at the end. <laughs> of course there is. But it's at the end, not the beginning. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, you got, I believe, yeah. Uh, it, the big speech at the end is that uh, Bartlett delivers a big rant tearing down some, you know, 
right-wing Christian fundamentalists and it's, and that's what, you know, embarrasses them and shuts them up. And it's like, it's nice to think that that's how that would work. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. again, we're in Aaron Sorkin land here. And as long as we don't, you know, get too many ideas about its applicability to reality, then I think we would be fine with it. But (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so there you have it. Uh, if you're if you're into that Aaron Sorkin style and you haven't seen The American President, definitely check it out. It's it's yeah. it's worth a look, I would say. Despite everything I've said, I think it's nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice one. I want to see Malice. Just, that that's been on my list forever. I've never seen Malice, which was so so. This The American President was Sorkin's third screenplay. Malice was his second. I'd like to see that. Yeah, people don't really talk about malice. I think just because it, you know, it's kind of sandwiched between a few good men and the American president. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, we're going to be looking at a comedy f- from um, uh, Michael Moore. So this one's written and directed by Michael Moore. Canadian Bacon is the title here. Yeah, I have a synopsis. The U.S. president low in the opinion polls gets talked into raising his popularity by trying to start a cold war against Canada. Uh, this stars John Candy, Alan Alda, Rhea Perlman, Kevin Pollock, Rip Torn. Uh, this one, uh, I've, I've never seen this before. So this was a first time watch for me. And um, I'm a little bit torn with this one because uh, it is not a very good movie at all. No, it is. Uh, it is not. It's a. It's just a straight. It's straight up bad. It's very. You might even say it's bad. Yes. It, it's very messy. It's it's too goofy for its own good. A lot mm-hmm. of the jokes are just way too on the nose. Like, uh, the nonstop racial jokes in this are are like. Oh yeah, it's. Like they're not, it, it's, yeah. they're, it's not like it's racist or anything like that. No, like, but it's, and some of them are funny, but there's so many of them that, that it, you can't help but notice like, okay, I get it. Like, I, I understand. Let's just, let's move on past the, it, uh, the racial jokes. It's, it's, yeah, the, he, and in, and the reason that they can become uncomfortable is because like the rest of the jokes in this movie, it's it's very blunt, and you can't do that with some of the material that Moore's doing here. Yeah, it's just not. Um, the, it's it's it un, it's, it's really unfortunate yeah. because I think that there are individual scenes in this that I think are quite funny. I think I think there are certain certain scenes that 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 do work, but. By and large, it is just so freaking messy. Like mm-hmm. the the pacing, the just random sequences. It, it just none of it particularly works, uh, and uh, a lot of it is just too stupid to be funny. Really, mm-hmm. it it almost plays like a spoof. It it almost plays like some kind of some kind of goof spoof, but not but it doesn't go but but if that's what it's trying to be it doesn't go far enough like it's trying to be like smart satire but it doesn't work it's dumb satire yeah it's it really doesn't know how it wants to approach this material 
Uh, and so nothing really works. No. Which is a shame because this is John Kennedy's final film. Uh, well, it was the final film that was released. The, the, the one scene, and, and I, by the way, I love John Candy. I think that he was, he was an American treasure and he was Canadian. Yeah. He was a North American treasure. <laughs> it's a continental treasure. Uh, and just, it's so tragic uh, that we lost him so mm-hmm. young and, and um, I was reading about uh, while I was watching this movie being, you know, bored uh, with bored and sad that it was so unenjoyable. Mm-hmm. I was looking at um, the Wikipedia page for, for John Candy and, and I read that he was in talks to, there were three roles that he was attached to one being a, uh, an adaptation of a Confederacy of dunces. The second being, um, an adaptation of Mordecai Rickler's, the incomparable, a took. And the third being a, uh, a biopic on fatty Arbuckle. And unfortunately he passed away, not, not being able to film those roles, but crazily, uh, John Belushi, Sam Kinison, and Chris Farley were each attached to all three of those roles. And they all passed away before being able to, to do them. That's, How crazy is that? Yeah, that's bizarre. I mean, I knew that like there was this feel. I, I knew that there was always this feeling about a Confederacy of Dunces that there were so many efforts to adapt it, and none of them ever. So that there was this feeling that there was some kind of, you know, proverbial curse around trying to turn that book into a movie. But I didn't know that 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 full fact, and that's bizarre. Yeah, and and not one of those movies has since has been made. So mm. uh, yeah, that's. Kind of wild. He so this was the last movie that was released, uh, starring him. He uh, John Candy was filming Wagons East when he passed away, and they. I remember that they um, reading that they finished that movie using a stunt double, and it's um, that movie's really bad, really really bad. It's really really bad. It's it's uh, him and, and Matthew Perry, if I remember correctly. And it's just, it's a Western comedy. The only scene that I really remember vividly is a scene where they are like, instead of circling the wagons, they square the wagons. <laughs> and uh, I remember that scene being really funny. But otherwise, sort of like Canadian Bacon, Wagons East was not very good. I re- there was one really funny scene in, or at least I thought it was funny in Canadian Bacon when they're in, they're they're heading to so Rhea Perlman's character, she gets arrested by the Canadian government uh, because she was littering in Canada, and they go to, they're going to rescue her, John Candy, and um, it's uh, John Candy, Kevin J O'Connor, and Bill Nunn. And they're they're driving. They're 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 on a road trip to save to save her, and they get pulled over by a cop played by Dan Aykroyd. And 
they get fined because they had graffiti on their truck that was like death to Canada and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We hate Canada. And they got fined because they didn't have it, the graffiti in French also. (laughs) And the, (laughs) where the fine was either a thousand Canadian dollars or 10 us dollars. And I don't, I, for whatever reason, I just, I thought that was really funny. And then also, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, I was going to agree that there are pockets of, of this movie where it is working, where the specific brand of comedy kind of pays off. It's just uh, very rare. Yeah, and, and I think that also you need, there needs to be some kind of connective tissue to the jokes. Like a lot of the jokes are like cultural jokes or political jokes, and you need something to... You need a vessel to carry those things. You can't just have these like seemingly separate jokes about Canada or like modern, like the state of modern day politics Mm -hmm. and have that carry a movie. Like you need a, you need a, a decent plot. And the plot here is just, it's just so random and, and, None of it makes any kind of logical sense. Yeah, I mean, we're never we're never unaware of the point that Michael Moore is trying to make here, which is that you know, uh, the 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 feeling that after the Cold War that you know that they need that there needed to be a new there was this desire to create a new enemy for uh, that that the entire country could rally against for uh, political advantage in, in kind of a prolonged Cold War. And we're never far away from that point because it's like restated every third scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alan Alda is the president, though. I, I yeah, always like that's yeah. yeah. I love Alan Alda. I yeah, think, I, and I think he he plays a good president in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. does a, does a good job. I also like the scene when uh, again they're still going to rescue Rhea Perlman's character, and there's this like giant crowd around the what's that the ta- the that tower in Canada called in toronto yep. the toronto the, one the, the cn yeah tower yeah that uh and and they're just shoving everybody out like violently shoving everybody out of the way and as the people are like falling and tumbling down the hill they're all apologizing to, to john candy as he's shoving them out of the way and i thought it, that, that was funny that was a funny it, scene he, he, yeah he, he, there's an interesting degree to which kind of as a comedy device that Moore is kind of making uh, fun of sort of the, the stereotypes of Americans who, I guess, by and large, does Canada doesn't really feature. I was thinking about this recently. Like, Canada doesn't really feature much in the American conception of, like, countries that, that, that really kind of figure into the, the thoughts as much as you would expect it to for a country that shares such a massive land border. It feels like... It feels like, you know, if something, if the term, if turmoil is happening in, say, Britain, as it has been recently, um, that's really well followed. But I feel like comparable events, if they, when they do occur in Canadian politics, aren't covered as much in the United States. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, this, it's this paradox. And, you know, yeah, like, I think, that, I think we just, it's as, as Americans, I think Americans just like, like to make fun of Canada like they're and, and not necessarily in a mean-spirited way although I'm sure that some people do that like 
the the Canadian jokes, and there are plenty in this movie. I'll, there's so many Canadian. Yeah, the, jokes. the thing the thing is that uh, more kind of wants to comment on these uh, perceptions. You know, there, there's there's the the straightforward political satire. You know that they are able to scare Americans by mentioning that Canada has universal health care and, and, and things like that. But then there's also like, then there's like, oh, Michael Moore is now just doing 10 minutes of like played directly straight Canadian stereotype jokes. <laughs> yeah, he does. He definitely uh, does that. Like there's Mountie jokes in here. Stephen Wright plays a Mountie. Uh, there's a lot of a boot, you know, the how they, how they say a boot. Like there's... It, it, they're all here. Like you, you have the checklist of uh, Canadian stereotypes. They're all represented here. Now, you know, back in '95, I don't know how pervasive they were. Maybe Canadian jokes or the the stereotypes are are maybe this this movie helped cement those stereotypes. I don't know, but I don't think so. Actually, like thinking about, no, I, I think they would have to be thinking about like old SCTV sketches and stuff. I feel like those were probably already pretty prominent i I, th- I think it's another example of how more kind of tries to have it both ways and how he's approaching the comedy or whether it's just really broad comedy or just more targeted satire and they yeah. s- she tries to make them coexist at the same time and it just doesn't really work yeah and i think that his his tone is is often a little bit misguided too it's there's there's some scenes where you're just like mm, that's playing a little, a little, it's getting a little bit dark. And then, and then like they just, and then they kind of play it off for, for goofs. And it's like, eh, I don't know about all that. Also, yeah. there's like a scene where the one guy, Kevin, Kevin J. O'Connor's character, Roy boy shoots a rocket at the president. And yeah, that's really <laughs> early too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. First of all, the second scene. <laughs> he, so, so first, he tries to kill himself by jumping into Niagara Falls, and he fails. That's the first scene. <laughs> and then there's this whole joke about how, like this uh, this plant shut down, and and John Candy and Rhea, Rhea Perlman are their their uh, police officers. Candy's the sheriff. Rhea Perlman's like a deputy, and and their job, their current job, is to to fish out bodies from the bottom of the falls and they get paid $50 per body or whatever. Yeah. The problem is they don't get paid as much if they save someone about to jump because so many of the, uh, because so many of the former employees are, are, uh, uh, trying to take their own lives because the plants closed down. Uh, and, and the joke there is that they, actually want them to die because the way the scheme worked is that they get paid more to retrieve a body rather than to save someone. Yeah. So the whole, so the whole time, like what happens is that the Roy boy is like dangling on the side and they're trying to, they're trying to like get him to jump and then Rhea Perlman shoots him. Yes. <laughs> she shoots him. And that's just the, like the, the next scene of the movie, the next scene, <laughs> the it's scene. completely forgotten. The fact yeah, that he's well, shot, he doesn't he doesn't seek medical attention or anything. Yeah. It's just forgotten. And then he buys a rocket launcher and shoots a rocket at the president. <laughs> yeah, because the next scene is they're auctioning off all the the the, uh, the surplus military equipment from the factory, and he shoots the rocket at the president. 
also forgotten as quickly as it, yeah. as it began. Oh, then they do have that bit where um, it's in the White House and they uh, tell the president that uh, like the his approval rating went up and the stocks rallied after the assassination, but then they all came back down when they found out that he had survived it. <laughs> yeah. There's also a really funny scene with Jim Belushi, who plays a, a news reporter, and there's just this one, it's just a little kind of almost a throwaway thing where before he does his report, he like gives this like very solemn apology and he doesn't say like what it's for or anything. You know, it's something like really awful and it, it scandalous. It sounded like he was like, 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 it sounded like he like committed some kind of violent crime because he liked to like apologize to the people that were like injured or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I wasn't sure if like maybe he exposed himself to to people or something. But either way, that was really funny too. Just the the fact that that was just thrown in there. Yeah, it begins with a really solemn public apology, and then it goes straight into the. Yeah, yeah. I I liked that. So I think that there's like fun like individual segments of this, but I think the overall package is. Uh, not funny, not very good, not not very well put together. Michael Moore yeah. just is not not my uh, not my kind of comedian, I guess. Yeah, it's. I think it's telling that we're just describing the individual bits that we liked, uh, just because you can kind of pull them out individually and then separate them. Yeah, I I understand why he did not make more narrative films. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, I, I want to mention another thing that I liked, which is literally I was thinking about how this might have come together at the very end. The, like throughout the movie, there are occasional phone calls that the president has with the Canadian uh, prime minister. Um, and it's just like you can only hear the voice muffled over the end of the line. It's kind of like the the uh, a, adult's voice in like the Peanuts cartoons. And then at the very end, it's not even like, <laughs> yeah, it's not even like a, a scene or a line. It's just a still image cameo, basically, <laughs> from I'll just say, uh, I almost don't want to give away the element of surprise about who plays the Canadian prime minister, but it is is perfect. <laughs> then again, I am suggesting that you should watch this movie for the last image of it. So I don't know if that's actually true either. Uh, we can just say it's Wallace Shawn. It's Wallace Shawn. Yeah. <laughs> Wallace Shawn appears in this movie. You can't even say one scene. Wallace Shawn appears in this movie for one still image. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny, too. Yeah, and I like that. There, there's certain certain things. I, I, uh, also, I thought it was kind of, again, like kind of going with like how things were not quite the right tone all the time. Rip Torn's character at the end when they're like wrapping everything up and saying what everybody did, they were just like he yeah, killed himself. Yeah, so he plays this super hawkish general who I believe the joke is he uh, he uh, kills himself after finding out that Hogan's Heroes wasn't real. Yeah, which is like the stupidest. Yeah, oh, which is God. like the sandwiched in between jokes about how like the president becomes like a drive time radio host after he loses the next election to Oliver North. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I weirdly enough in that last sequence of jokes you get the entire problem with the movie trying to find a balance for its humor all there. Mhm. 
Yep. Uh, I would just go ahead and stick with uh, some of, some of Candy's earlier earlier roles. Watch re, re, just rewatch Uncle Buck or Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I mean, Thanksgiving is coming up, so Planes, Trains, yeah. and Automobiles. Check that out. I guess Thanksgiving will have passed by the time you, this comes out, probably. But and either, final either way. Yeah, final fact I'll point out before we move on uh, is that Canadian Bacon was released in the United States on September 22nd, 1995, which if I looked up that weekend, that is the same weekend that another film discussed on the show was released, uh, Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls. Nice. Very nice. A fascinating weekend in what a, what um, a great the weekend. 1995 films. What are you going to go see this weekend? Showgirls, which probably wasn't even playing in your theater because it was NC-17 and it didn't get released in many theaters. Or or Canadian Bacon. Uh, or Canadian Bacon, which was released in, it looks like, 14 theaters. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, our final film this month is, uh, we're, we're, we're deviating a little bit. We're going from a comedy to an action flick. This came out in 1997, Air Force One. I'm the President of the United States. On July 25th. How the hell did they get Air Force One? Experience the motion picture event of the summer. Harrison Ford. Get off my plane. Air Force One, rated R. Opens everywhere Friday. It's equally as absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more so in some ways. <laughs> this is directed by Wolfgang Peterson. I have a synopsis here. Communist radicals hijack Air Force One with the U.S. president and his family on board. The vice president negotiates from Washington, D.C., while the president, a veteran, fights to rescue the hostages on board. All right. If you're not familiar with this one, it stars Harrison Ford, Gary Oldman, Glenn Close. Um, so this is a, this is a, this is an action classic here. This one, this one was an an instant classic when it came out. I'm not sure why looking back on it. I mean, (laughs) all this is, is die hard and with Harrison Ford in a plane. That's all this is. Yeah. But isn't that a great idea in and of itself? Yeah. I, I guess after saying it out loud, I realized, you know what? That's enough. Harrison Ford's the president, and he's on Air Force One, and it's Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, and you have Gary Oldman as the big bad guy. Perfect. I'm actually betting, you know, it's one of those movies where even if you haven't seen it, you've basically seen it just because oh, of how yeah. it's saturated in the culture. Once we say, like, and Gary Oldman as the main antagonist, I think one specific moment in the film comes into your head instantaneously, and it's the same one for everybody. Oh, yeah. Get off my plane. Yes. <laughs> like that I mean that that is definitely that one of those scenes, one of those yeah, actually, super that, that iconic might, scenes. That just might be the first thing that comes into your head once this movie is mentioned at all. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it it's just it's such a famous scene. I I can't remember. I feel like it was probably in the trailer too. Mm-hmm. Cuz it was just such a big such a big moment and it's a great scene what you don't you know what you don't think about if you haven't seen this movie in a long time 
or maybe you haven't seen it at all. You just saw that one scene. What you don't really, um, what you need to think about is the scene after that when the plane is crashing and the plane crashes and it is the most ridiculous 90s CG plane I have ever oh. seen in my life. There's <laughs> all of the CGI in this movie. <laughs> it, I mean, oh my God, dude. It is like the some of the worst. Like the way it just—it looks like it's a like a PlayStation One game. The way that the the plane hits the the ocean and then like breaks apart and then like flips. It looks so bad. It's hilarious. It's yeah. It's uh. To be clear, it it doesn't take anything away from the film. I still, no. I still had However, an absolute blast. With yeah, it. there are these pockets of this movie where there's just 1997 CGI and even by the standards of this point not good CGI no. oh, for the no. standards of a major studio oh, no. absolutely not and like it's awful yeah there's a lot of like green screen work that that's happening here or probably blue screen back then and it like the compositing is so bad like like nobody's keyed correctly, so you can see that like outline around everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like so painfully obvious that everything is on is being done in in, in front of a screen. It's it's uh it's very rough. There's this scene where a bunch of the the hostages uh, aboard the plane are able to, you know, that's when they're able to, to get parachutes and escape. <laughs> yeah. And there's like, it's like a minute of them going of them parachuting out of the plane and it's, it's, wow. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty silly to see them jumping out of this plane. Yeah, I mean, even, there's even some like things that that movies have mastered by this point. Like, mm-hmm. there's a scene just a basic scene where it's it's even before the president gets on the plane. He's just in like his limo and he's like talking to his aides and stuff. The outside, you know, like as they're driving, because for some reason, I guess like this limo's not doesn't have tinted windows or something, so you can see perfectly outside. But it is so plainly a screen. It's almost mm-hmm. like uh, you know, like like in Kill Bill or something when like they make it very apparent that this is not a real car and they're not really driving. Like that's what this looked like. It's just all of the effects work, even like basic, basic things are so bad. And maybe it's because the, the it it was in HD, you know, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe like back then when it, when it came out and it wasn't in HD, it didn't look as, you know, apparent. Because that definitely happens sometimes, where you know, you, you when a movie transitions over to HD, and it's just like, oof. Yeah, Harrison Ford is the president of the United States. Air Force I think that's just One. the tagline, isn't it? Like that's such a great tagline. <laughs> yeah, Harrison Ford is the president of the United States. That gets them in. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie is extremely fun. I. I, I very much enjoy this movie, even even with all its flaws. I mean, I guess back when I saw this when I was a kid, I it just like the the extreme cheesiness was was kind of lost on me as a kid. Mm-hmm. But you know, revisiting it as a, as an adult, you just see how ridiculous it is. But in a lot of ways, that makes it more fun. 
and, and yeah, I, it's definitely. funny too because like I saw I rewatched Outbreak uh, a couple of years. It was like during the pandemic I watched Outbreak, and I kind of yeah. forgot how ridiculous that movie was because I always kind of remember that movie being like in my head. I was thinking that that it was more similar to. Uh, was the was it contagion? Was the Stephen contagion? So- are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking in my head, like in my memories, like it was closer to that. But then when you see Outbreak, now you realize that it's like a disaster film. Like it's it's so yeah. ridiculous. And and I think when we watched that for our uh, March twenty twenty episode, like it seemed very daunting to go into it considering that you know that was like right at the start of the Mm -hmm. pandemic in the united states when everything was closing down and and but watching it it's like it it is just such a like you say it's such a uh caricature like cartoonish disaster movie that it's it was for me and i as well kind of surprisingly easy to watch even given the circumstances right exactly and i I think you know the, the so Wolfgang Peterson did Air Force One directly after Outbreak, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it it felt kind of the same where it was just so over the top and just silly. the 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 scene The scene when he's trying to to wire to to cut the wires and <laughs> and and, and, em, and uh, empty the, <laughs> the the fuel, and he's like the whole red, white, and blue line. So so silly and then there's the, there's a scene where the, the the plane gets shot up and they have like an escort at this point so they have like f-15s or whatever escorting them and at one point the one of the pilots just goes sorry sir you can't land and they just accepted the fact that this they're not going to be able to land the plane. And it's like, why the plane is flying? Like it's in the air flying. Why wouldn't you be able to land it? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why you can't land this plane. Cause it's flying. <laughs> like if it can fly, why can't it land? It's not like the landing gear was gone. Hmm. But 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 it's just it it adds this like you know they 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 had to keep raising the stakes like things things had to get yes. more and more intense so they were just like yeah, well the, it, you can't land the plane sorry in the classic you know action movie tradition this movie ends about seven times before it actually does <laughs> yeah I also like how th- there was that one the the one Secret Service guy who was like. Uh, he was a traitor, and he was working with the terrorists. Yeah. And, uh, what what interesting fact I discovered about this? Because I think if people were trying to, you know, read, I guess the politics of this movie would be easy to assume it was very kind of like a, uh, a sort of a hawkish, uh, nationalistic movie. But there's there's an interesting fact that I came across for this. That um, is that in the script, uh, and apparently they also shot a scene that where it's explained why uh, Gibbs, the name of that a- agent, ends up help, uh, is helping the, the terrorists, which is because he's like a former uh, CIA guy who was 
you know, who resents that the Cold War ended uh, because it meant that he couldn't keep along that line of work. And so it's like he, he just completely just falls apart because he can't because the Cold War is not happening anymore. Uh, and I guess he kind of wants to just restart conflict in that sort of way so real but they cut the scene out because it doesn't actually matter at that point in the movie (laughs) why he's doing that but if you keep it in then it kind of changes how if someone was trying to read the movie's politics how they would because then it basically becomes canadian bacon yeah i was just gonna say what is it canadian bacon (laughs) trying to no longer seems like yeah (laughs) trying to manufacture a war yeah it basically becomes like the exact same brand of, you know, of satire that Canadian bacon is instead of this kind of movie that you could read as, I don't know, some kind of I don't, uh, jingoistic action movie. But <laughs> I just love that fact so much because coming right after Canadian bacon, it's like, oh, that would just be the same movie that was <laughs> <laughs> so funny, man. They should have left that in. I think that that would have. been. Yeah, there. I mean, I understand why they cut it, because by then you don't care. <laughs> Wasn't Actually, it? you never cared. <laughs> no, no, you don't care. I think, wasn't it both Canadian Bacon and this one that involved Kazakhstan also? I, I know that there were two, this one and another one that, that we talked about. This one, this one has Kazakhstan. I think, I don't know if Canadian Bacon does. I think it does, because I remember, I remember noting, because I watched the, these two back to back, and I remember making a mental note of the, the Kazakhstan angle. I, I think that both of them involved Kazakhstan. Mm. So really, I mean, in a lot of ways, Air Force One was yeah. just ripping off yeah. Canadian bacon all over yeah. the place. You're, you know, yeah, I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. These are kind of the same movie. <laughs> you just You just swap out Harrison Ford with John Candy, and then, or mm-hmm. I guess Alan Alda would be Alan Alda. Yeah, that would be the appropriate one. I guess uh, maybe you could have like William H Macy and John Candy be interchangeable characters. Yeah, they, 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 there's kind of a synergy between their characters. Okay. I think this is a perfect observation to make for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Air Force One is a remake of Canadian Bacon. I mean, if they had, if they if they had kept that explanation, and I don't see how we could have read it any other way. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess uh, who who's Rhea Perlman in this in this scenario? I don't know. Yeah, Glenn Close plays the vice president. She does a good job. I I like her in that role. That was a good choice. There's also, uh, I mean, we have this movie directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who died earlier this year. There's also a brief appearance from Philip Akert Hall, who also died this year as the as one of the the cabinet members. Uh, th- th- there's that whole discussion in the movie where the cabinet wants uh, Glenn Close's character as the vice president to invoke Section Four of the Twenty Fifth Amendment and be assume the presidency on an acting basis because for a while the question is even if the president is alive or not because he's not in the escape hatch that they send for him because yeah. we find out that he's still on the plane and it's treated i think as this ridiculous idea but actually it makes i think it's a perfectly reasonable option to consider it in the scenario 
Yeah, they make. I a, mean, it they, turned out not necessary, but yeah, they make a big deal about it, and I, I think that's there's like a scene where they show her like tearing it up at the end. Yeah, yeah, uh, but no, it was not. I don't think it's itself a bad idea. <laughs> no, I mean you gotta no. you gotta prepare. You gotta be ready. Yeah, especially that. because they did because they didn't know where the president was for a large portion of it, which is kind of like a case study for uh circumstances where the 25th amendment would be applicable i do like the scene when when he gets when he gets a cell phone and there's like a there's like a a manual he has to like look up the instruction manual on how to use the cell phone also uh some some synergy with the american president there because he has to talk to someone on the other end of the phone who does not believe that he is the president uh yeah <laughs> which is also a big thing in the American president when Michael Douglas yeah. tries to uh, buy flowers called mm-hmm. florist. Yeah. Yeah. All these movies are the same, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they're, all, they're all pretty much the same. Yeah. Man. It's the, so Wolfgang Peterson passed away this year. Ivan Reitman passed away this year. Also. Mm. This is uh there's, there's another theme emerging yeah here with with this uh this month a uh, very uh, much sadder theme yeah. yeah i'm looking at uh wolfgang peterson's filmography again uh also on there is um in the line of fire which i guess also would have qualified for this month yeah it's about a, a president we had uh we had talked about when when you came up with this this idea i my first the thing that I wanted to talk about was Bullworth, but then then you running for president. you reminded uh, me that it, he was a senator, not a president, yeah. which bummed me out. I wanted to talk about but Bullworth, it's, it's not, but it's not as if there was a deficit of movies, like we said earlier, about presidents in the '90s to to, to talk about, which kind of makes me wonder, like, what was the impetus? behind the glut of movies about presidents in the 90s i, I don't know there where they s- needed two oval office sets there were there there were quite a lot there was uh and, and then there were like like dick came out from 1999 um wag the dog uh was there was there a presidential aspect to that i mean uh, yeah it's about it's about the the presidency i don't know if the president features in it though yeah it might be one of those ones where he's just never seen yeah the, weirdly that was one of the initial ideas for the west wing not to return to that for a minute but was that i believe initially they were not going to ha- the president was not actually going to feature in the show at all huh. which is impossible to imagine that, that it takes if you place see, in for the, the listeners wing. who have seen any of the west wing at all yeah and then of course there was uh there was primary colors. There Talk was well. there was My Fellow Americans. Another Nixon movie came out that was called Nixon. I think that, that was, was uh yeah. was that a Ron Howard one? I think that was Oliver Stone. Oh Oliver Stone, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, because he made that after he made JFK. JFK, yeah. I almost suggested that, but then I thought we could kind of do with like fictional presidents. We could just do four movies about fictional presidents. But I was thinking we do a couple of other movies about presidents, and then we just do three movies and just talk about like JFK or something because that's like three and a half hours long. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Well, that was that was another kind of there was a there was a little bit of a gag in Dave with uh, Oliver Stone who played a little a cameo, and he was yeah he was trying to say that that 
he d- thought that the person was not the president and nobody believed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, there was the war room, the big, uh, which was the documentary mm-hmm. about the election. Uh, there's so many. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have no theory about why. But I'm going to say I, I was like I was trying to cope with something maybe there's something about the as comes up so much in these movies the end of the Cold War or something. Uh, maybe I I know there's a podcast I haven't listened to too many episodes of it but um, Jamel Bowie and John Gans do a podcast that's just about like post Cold War thrillers uh, and, and maybe and and comment on uh, uh, presumably the just discuss that subject uh because it seems like you couldn't uh you couldn't watch too many movies in the 90s without coming up with one about the president or about somehow relating towards uh the end of the cold war in either an explicit narrative sense or kind of the underpinnings of these some of these movies yeah and you even have like the kids movies the disney movies getting in on it with like first kids starring sinbad Mm-hmm. There was also a movie called First Daughter. Not familiar with that. There was Shadow Conspiracy from 1997. Deterrence. Executive Power from 1997. We'd already mentioned JFK. I mean, so many. Like, it was ridiculous. Did I mention hmm. My Fellow Americans? Cause yes, you did. Okay. Because that's an important one. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it's just a. The, the fact that there that I'm I'm looking here. I just did a search for it, and the fact that there is a website that has top ten '90s movies about American presidents. <laughs> the, 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 the you can formulate a top ten. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute power. I, oh, this one has Independence Day. I guess you could say. I, I mean, yeah, I believe in the article they mentioned that Independence Day was, I think. They use, the Oval Office set they used for this was, I think, the American President's Oval Office set. <laughs> they, like, talk about which ones use the American President set and which ones use the Dave set. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to Retropond.com, the number one presidential movie of the 90s was Dave. So there you go. Okay. Air Force One was number three. And the American President was number two. Okay. I'm not seeing Canadian Bacon listed on here at all. So. How disappointing. <laughs> mm. All right. Anything else you want to add before we close it out this month? No, I I, I, uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. As always, I had a, a really good time with this, but perhaps not as good of a time as I'm going to have next month for our Christmas Indeed. special when we're bringing it back. You knew that we were going to bring it back. It's a made Act for two. TV Christmas. Once again, a made-for-TV uh, Christmas. Uh, we were discussing, and I suggested one movie that we will be talking about next month. So we're yeah. already well into planning for it. I've noticed that there's a there's have already been a really large number of Christmas movies released. I feel like this year seems to have a lot of Christmas movies that are coming out. You sent me uh, the, the, the posters for uh, two of them, which I believe both had 
Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley in them. And I wanted to particularly talk about one called Christmas in Paradise, mm-hmm. uh, which stars Kelsey Grammer, Elizabeth Hurley, yep. billed in this order across the top, uh-huh. and Billy Ray Cyrus. There it is. <laughs> and as I said to you at the time, if you told me that there was going to be a Christmas movie and the first two stars were Kelsey Grammer and Elizabeth Hurley, and then you asked me to guess the third... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the other I don't one. I think I would have ever gotten it right. <laughs> and the other one is Christmas in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth Hurley's just vacationing. I, I mentioned this on the on the weekly show too. She's just she's loving it, spending her Christmases. In- well, wasn't this just in the news where uh, Mariah Carey was trying to secure the trademark for being for the title Queen of Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> and they said that she couldn't get that. I Presumably they meant Elizabeth Hurley was also in uh, contention for it. Could be, yeah. And after the year we've lost one Queen Elizabeth, we have another. Queen I'm... Elizabeth Hurley of Christmas. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, not enough to actually watch either of these two movies that are coming out. But no, I'm, no. <laughs> I'll stick with the '90s ones. Thank you. Maybe Elizabeth Hurley is in in one in a '90s Christmas movie. I don't know. We should check into that. It, it's it seems it it seems we're every year. I'm surprised by how many people have been in a Christmas movie in the '90s made for television. So. I've also noticed that, like, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's, uh, I'm I'm off the mark on this, but I feel like Christmas movies are sort of like horror movies where, you know, like, you, once you're kind of established in that genre, like, you become, that that's, like, where you make most of your movies. Like, you know, you become a scream queen or whatever. You have these actors who are frequently in, that genre you it's the same with christmas movies i feel like you have certain actors who they just get many times over to be in these these christmas movies mm-hmm. and, I, and i'm looking here she's in christmas in paradise father christmas is back so this is at least 3 that i'm seeing here that she's in all right cool uh well i think that's going to do it for this month Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your 90s memories to 90s at filmpulse.net or you can DM us on Facebook or Twitter at 90s pod. Also, if you get a moment, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That'd be great. Until next month for Ken Bakley. My name is Adam Patterson. This has been Saved by the 90s. Bye, everyone. Bye.